Thank you, Jesus, that we can stand in your power. Thank you, Jesus, that those that we've been praying for this morning don't need to to come here in their strength or go to uni in their strength or but we can do it in your strength, in your power. For you equip each one of us for everything that you have for us. Lord, you give us the strength to endure every situation you have for us because of what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that it is all about you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, band. I think they deserve a round of applause because I think they've been amazing. And I am... I was tempted to... um, to say, to give up on what I was going to speak about, because actually we've sung most of it already this morning. Just turn that round so I don't knock it over. Which shouldn't be any surprise or coincidence, really, um, because that's the way God often works. Um, So it's very encouraging for me that we've been singing such amazing truth, such amazing promises um, that we hear um, about God and from God. So... I'm hoping that any second now, hey, there it is, another fantastic piece of graphics to present to you the new preaching series that we're going to start over the next nine weeks. Nine weeks during which we are going to talk about by faith. I'm very excited. Hopefully you're all very excited. Um, It's been very well trailed in the emails and in social media, so... We're going to have a fun time. Um, It's something that certainly we as the elders have been talking about over the summer, and it's something we're really confident and convinced that God wants wants to lead us through as a local church over the next season. So that's where we're going to go. By faith. Okay. We are a people of faith. We are a faith community. That's what being a church means. It's one of the things it means about being a church. People outside of the church look at us and respect the fact that we have faith. Faith is seen as a good thing. When you talk to people about faith, they think faith is a good thing, not something that's a weakness. When um, we lived in Italy for a year, and one one of my overriding memories of speaking to people in Italy is that they were even envious of our faith, the fact that we would go somewhere because of what we believed. So, faith is a good thing. But what does it mean to look like a people of faith? What evidence is there that people see that we have faith? Because faith can be seen through the actions of people. Faith is something that is visible. It's noticeable. Uh, We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, we remember before uh, before our God and Father your work produced by faith. They remembered the work produced by faith. James 2.22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So there's an action element which demonstrates that the person has faith. Faith is recognized through actions. 
that are produced by faith because those who have faith take actions in response to it. So faith comes first and action follows. But it is the actions that give us evidence that the person has faith. Vaughan Roberts is the He's a rector in a Church of England church in Oxford. He's written many books and he trains preachers. And I found this quote um, a couple of weeks ago that he wrote, In Christ we have everything, but manifestly we aren't living in light of all we have received in Christ. In other words, Christ has given us everything that we need to live the life he wants us to live. But when we look around at ourselves, at our local church, and at other other churches, the way that Christians are in society, we don't always see something that reflects Jesus in the way we might expect it to. We're not seeing the fullness of everything that we already have. Why not? Is it because we don't really believe that we have it? Or is it that we don't really believe the promises behind it? And so we choose to live according to to other things. A bit like we were praying earlier for the the students and, um, and so on. We're sending them, not in their own strength, not in their own ability, but in God's strength to uphold them, to protect them, to provide for them, to serve them. We know that God goes with them and before them so they don't need to rely on themselves. But do we really believe that? So in the same way as you can recognize a faithful person through their actions, sometimes it's easier to look at ourselves and recognize a lack of faith because we're not taking those sort of actions. We're not acting in response to faith. So for example, how often do we look at our own efforts in evangelism and think, do you know what, it's really hard to go and talk to my friends about the relationship with, my relationship with Jesus? Or our generosity, and think, how hard is it for me to give sacrificially from my limited resources? Or hospitality, how hard is it for me to invite a stranger into my imperfect home? We can look at ourselves and we can see actions that we're not taking, which maybe re- reflect in us a bit of a lack of faith. Faith is something that we have, we need to be saved. We cannot come into a relationship with Jesus without faith, without believing something that is outside of us, that is bigger than us. We are saved, in Romans 3.22 it says, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. But does that mean it's once for all? Do we only need faith once and then the rest of the time we're on our own? Well, yes and no. No. In that once we're saved, we're always saved. So our faith for salvation is enough for salvation. We don't need to keep doing things to keep being saved. You can't lose your salvation. But 1 Corinthians 3.15 says that you can live as you like, but you will be saved as one escaping through the flames. 
In other words, there is more than that once-off faith that God wants for us. He wants us to live by faith throughout our lives because he has so much more for us. There are things that we will miss out on in Christ by not living by faith. And the great thing about it is that we don't need to qualify to get it. It's there for us as a free gift. We don't need to know anything. We don't need to have done anything. We don't need to have proved anything. It's a free gift from God to anyone who asks for it. So when we talk about living by faith, we're not talking about something that's difficult. We're not talking about something that is only for a few special people. We're not talking about something that is out of our reach or that we have disqualified ourselves from. This is for every single one of us. So, just check I'm on the right place because I haven't been looking. Yep, we're good. We want our actions, therefore, the things that we do, to be a response to our faith. This is not, if we do this, then God will do that. That would be our faith being a response to our actions or a, or a theology of salvation by works. If we work hard enough for God, then he will save us. That's not what we are saying at all. Faith is our response to God's promises, and God's promises are guaranteed. When God promises something, it will happen, whether we see that happening or not. Okay? They are promises for blessings in eternity, which we receive by faith, and which results in us taking action by faith. So what we're going to do through this series is we're going to explore what the Bible tells us about how we can do that, how we can live by faith. And there's a well-known passage in the Bible um, where is the go-to passage for talking about faith, which is Hebrews chapter 11. Probably most of you are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 because what Hebrews 11 contains is a list of who are often known as the heroes of faith, people that have been recorded as living by faith. People mostly, or they're all in the Old Testament, who, had, who made decisions, took actions, prompted by their faith, their belief in what God had for them or was going to do. And we're going to go through a number of those characters over the next few weeks. We're going to take one each week, so I'm going to talk about one after I finish my short introduction. And then we're going to have eight more characters that are going to be covered over the next few weeks. And we're going to learn from them through the actions that they took, what it means for us to live by faith. So let's kick off straight away. Talk, uh, I'm going to read you um, some excerpts from Hebrews 11. So it's not the whole chapter, um, but they're going to come up on the screen behind you, behind me. Not behind you. There is no screen behind you. Unless you turn around and face the back, in which, anyway. <laughs> Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 4. By faith, Abel bought a breath. Uh, brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous, 
when he spoke well of his offerings, when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. We're going to be looking at Abel this morning. Verse 7, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. We're going to be having a look at Noah's story. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. We'll be looking at Sarah in a few weeks' time. By faith, see there's a theme going on through the chapter. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 23, by faith, Jochebed, now there's a name you probably haven't heard very many times. That's Moses' mum. By faith, Jochebed hid Moses for three months after he was born because she saw that he was no ordinary child and she was not afraid of the king's edict. I love that story, and we're going to be looking at that in a few weeks. By faith, Moses himself, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after Joshua's army had marched round them for seven days. Strange way for an army to behave. Behaved by faith. By faith, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed. That's a nice, a nice result of faith, isn't it? She was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? And I'm not going to list all of the others, but one that we will be talking about. I do not have time to tell about Gideon, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. And if I remember rightly, I think Gideon is going to be, um, we're going to be looking at Gideon with the, some of the, um, the kids' work team. So I think maybe, possibly even some of the kids will be helping us with that one. So that's, that's one to really look forward to in a few weeks' time. These, uh, verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Abel, Moses, Jochebed, Sarah, Noah. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Living by faith is all about having confidence and assurance in God's promises for us. Knowing what the promises are and being certain that God is going to bring them about. 
It's demonstrated by the action that we take, by the things that we do. And it's not dependent on the results that are achieved. Although sometimes those results can be things to celebrate, like not being killed, is, you know. <laughs> but ultimately it points to something yet to come. That's what faith is all about. It's all about believing God for something that hasn't yet happened. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's not, let's learn some things about the way these people lived their lives and see if we can model our lives around them. That's not what it's about at all. It's an inspiration for us to believe God's promises for us and go for it in faith ourselves. So that's where we're going to go over the next eight and a half weeks. Um, We're going to hopefully learn to live by faith ourselves by looking at each of these characters. So I'm going to start this morning by looking at the first one that appears. We're not going to do them all in strictly in the order they appear in Hebrews because the order doesn't matter. But we are going to go through um, all of those that I mentioned. So we're going to start today with the first hero of faith who is Abel. Now I'm going to just do a very quick poll. How many of you have heard a sermon about Abel before? Really? That's very surprising. I've never heard a sermon about Abel before. I've heard him mentioned in sermons. I've heard sermons that talk about, briefly talk about him. But he's not really a character. He doesn't really get much of a mention in the Bible. In fact, I think I counted 14 verses where Abel gets mentioned. But he appears in Hebrews 11. So God must have something that he wants us to learn about Abel or about faith through Abel's life. Remember it said in verse 4, by faith Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith Abel still speaks even though he's dead. So his story can be found in Genesis chapter 4. So if you'd like to find Genesis 4 in your Bibles, it'll come up on the screen. I'm just going to read the very few verses that talk about Abel. And then we're going to see what we can learn about living by faith from his story. Genesis 4 and verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you, do, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. 
Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. It's a short story. It's a slightly odd story. Certainly not necessarily where you'd think of looking to learn about how to live by faith. But hopefully we'll be able to see or learn something from it over the next couple of minutes. So who was Abel? need to introduce him first. And it wouldn't be me preaching if I didn't have a little picture on the board behind me. It's a family tree. So Abel was the son of Adam and Eve. And he was the younger brother of Cain. Okay, it's important to understand this. Because where somebody fits in the family tree often tells us how we might expect them to behave. So... First of all, he was Adam and Eve's son. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us he was only one generation from Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, who walked with God in the garden and spoke with him face to face. Adam and Eve, who first sinned by eating the fruit, were tempted and fell. Adam and Eve, who were banished from God's presence and would have known personally the pain and hurt that that would have caused them. And Cain and Abel would have grown up with those stories. Mum and Dad would have told them about, in the old days we used to walk with God in the garden, and then we made this hideous mistake, and, and now we've been banished, and now God's over there and we're out here. He would have had, Abel would have had a very acute awareness of what sin was and the consequences of sin. And we often forget that when we just look at someone in isolation. But not only was he Adam and Eve's son, but he was Cain's younger brother. What does it mean to be a younger brother? Well, it means you don't have the birthright. The firstborn has the birthright, has the right to carry the family name, has the right to expect the family inheritance has the right to expect to be head of the family when mum and dad move on. And I notice one or two smiles appearing on one or two faces because actually, whether this is a rule or not, I think we can often, we know what it feels like. I'm in the unfortunate position of being both an older brother and a younger brother. So I've got an enormous chip on my shoulder. Um, but I know that when you're a younger brother, you look at your older brother and you think, why do they get all the, the you know, special treatment as the older brother? Why should they get this? Why, why do they deserve more than I do? But then when you're an older brother, you can often look at your younger brother and, why are they constantly asking about this? Why are they constantly trying to compete with me? Why do they... So, I understand that there's a dynamic that appears naturally. This, this isn't about rules or society or, or you know, legal inheritance. This is about what it's like being an older and a younger brother. 
Again, you can look at the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament to see how that relationship pans out. But that's who Abel was. He was Adam and Eve's son, and he was the second born. He was the younger brother. So you might think that would motivate him to, to strive and try and do things on his own, his own way. But let's have a look at what they actually did. So both of them brought an offering to God. Now we had a during the when we were praying just before the meeting this morning. Um, I think um, I think maybe it was Mark reminded us or somebody reminded us that this time of year is in the Jewish calendar is the New Year because this is when harvest is. This is when we remember what God has given us and when we um, give an offering back to Him from what's been produced on the land. That's traditionally what harvest is is all about. And that's what was happening here. So they'd got to harvest, they'd got to that time of year, around about now, when all the crops were, were ready, all the, the animals had been born, and they wanted to give an offering to thank God for, for his provision. It's a good thing to do. Both of them wanted to do it. Came from a genuine um, place of, of, of gratefulness. But they did it in very different ways. Cain took some of the fruits from the land, I'll have a few of these grapes over here and a bit of the grain over here, some of the oil from the, the olives, and I'll give that to God. That'll be good. That'll represent that I'm grateful. Okay? For him, what was important was the fact that he was giving something. It was the ritual. Abel, on the other hand, he knew that the land wasn't all his. He kept flocks, and when we think about people keeping flocks. That means they go onto land that doesn't belong to them. They go somewhere that isn't theirs, and they have to make a living from whatever they can scrape together. And what, what he did was that he knew that the only way he was going to succeed in life, he was going to be provided for, was by God providing for him. So his offering came from a heart of knowing that there was nothing he could do to, to get what he needed. So he gave from a heart of, um, a heart of faith. He gave the fat parts, the best parts of the firstborn of the flock. Not just some, but he gave the best. Knowing that God was the one that provided, not him. He could afford to give away the best because he knew God would give him everything he needed. And that is why God accepted the um, sacrifice. That is why God accepted the offering as being righteous. It's why it was favoured by God and why Cain's offering wasn't. But there's an interesting aside. Oh, we've gone too far, look at that. There's an interesting aside. Is the comment in the, in the story that God said to Cain that sin was crouching by his door when he didn't do what was right. Because Actually, the root of sin is not living by faith. The root of sin is living in our own strength, not believing God for the promises he has for us, but believing ourselves before we believe God. Putting ourselves in a position of provider or of teacher or of decision maker or of guide. That's the root of sin, is not living by faith. 
and his actions demonstrated his lack of faith and therefore his sin. Faith involves us believing God's promises. We need to know what God's promised and look forward to them becoming a reality. We need to trust God that he is going to be good to his word, even if we know we'll never see the promise fulfilled. Cain was trying to gain God's acceptance by following particular rituals or patterns or learnt behaviours. He thought he could be saved by what he did. His action said, if I bring some and it's not enough, I'll just bring some more. Abel, on the other hand, knew that his works had nothing to do with it. It wasn't how much he brought. It wasn't how hard he worked to bring it or how often he did it, but it was his heart. It wasn't just an offering from the flock. It was the fat portions of the firstborn. He gave the best of the first. His actions said, I'm going to give God the best that I have and trust God to give me the best that he has. So what's our best and first? What does that mean for us? Here in Crawley Community Church, we have set, we have set, we have identified, we have recognized some 2020 goals. And some of them look pretty impossible. Giving away 60,000 pounds that we don't have. Planting a new church. Baptizing 140 people that aren't yet believers in Jesus. All seem to be things that we can't really do on our own. But they're all things that we believe that God has said that he will do. So what does it mean to live by faith and give of our first and our best to those things? If we have faith that these are God's promises for us, we therefore have confidence and assurance that they will happen, even if we can't see how. And that confidence and assurance will aspire us to take some sort of action that isn't dependent on the results, because we may never see the results, but it points to something yet to come, which is that God is going to have more worshippers in eternity. <laughs> it's not just about what happens in the here and now, it's about what happens in eternity. So if we really believe God, we will give the first and the best of our money and our resources and our time and our energy and our skills and our abilities. We will give the first and the best of everything that we are and everything that we have. And we will trust him to do his best, remembering that his best is immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Again, it's a well-known verse that we often hear, but it is true. We're not doing something in the hope that God will accept what we do and therefore do something else, or doing something knowing that if we get it a bit wrong, then God's probably going to ignore us and go and give the blessing to a different church. We're doing it because God has promised, and we are responding to that promise by faith. So that's the simple lesson we learn from Abel, is that our response to God's promises to us is to give our first and our best. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at eight other characters. 
And for those characters, things didn't always go to plan. Some of them, like Sarah and Moses, got it wildly wrong. You look at them and you think, what a total horlicks of things you've made. Some of them were mocked and ridiculed for what they did. How many of Noah's friends do you think thought he was sensible building a boat in the desert during a dry spell? Or Joshua's army? I know, let's attack this city by wandering around in circles. Some of them risked their lives. So Jochebed and Rahab had no idea whether they would even live to see the outcome because they were going against the law, what they were doing. But in each of those, in each of the cases, in each case that we're going to talk about, what happened? God's promises were fulfilled. The things that God said he would do, he did. And in each case, the person was commended for what? For the outcome? No. They were commended for their faith. And they've been recorded in Hebrews 11 as being righteous because of their faith. In other words, even before Jesus came and died and rose again and enabled us to be saved through him, they were saved by their faith because they were looking forward to the day when God would bring that salvation to all of us. We're going to... We're going to share communion. And what really is communion? Other than remembering what Jesus has done, remembering his death and his resurrection, which points us towards an eternal future that he has promised for us. And if he has promised us an eternal future, then by faith, we take an action by response of coming up and dipping a bit of pita bread in a bowl of juice. Proper bread in a bowl of juice. But if you went to your friend's house, would they get a bit of bread and dip it in a bit of juice or a bit of wine? That seems an odd thing to do. But we don't do it because it's a sensible thing to do. We don't do it because that's the way we do things at 20 past 11 on a Sunday morning. We do it by faith. We do it because it's our response to the promises that have been made for us. It's our response to the promise that if we believe in him, then we will not die, but we will have eternal life. It's a response in our heart to the promise that he has an inheritance laid up for all those who believe in him that will never perish, spoil or fade. It's a promise, it's a response to his promise to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never leave us as orphans. He will always provide for us. That's what we're responding to because we have been brought into that relationship with him through the blood shed on the cross and through his body broken on the cross. And so when we remember that, we act in faith. We come forward, we take the bread and we take the wine and we say to him, I'm going to give you my best and my first because that's my response to the immeasurably more that you have given to me. Amen? I'm going to ask um, the band to come up and I, I loved the song choice this morning. 
the song, I don't know if we've done it before, The Passion of Our Saviour. Um, can we do that one again? It's my, it's my favourite song at the moment. I love it. I give my whole life to honour this love because by the lamb that was slain, I'm forgiven. This is the message of living by faith. Because of what Jesus has done for us, because of his love demonstrated on the cross, we know that we can have an eternal life with him. Our response by faith to the greatest promise that has ever been made. Our freedom bought by Christ's death and resurrection is to give our whole lives as an offering of thankfulness to him who has done it all for us. So let's stand. Let's respond to him in worship. Let's respond to his promises to us by faith, by sharing communion with one another and remembering what he has done for us on the cross and what that means for the way that we can now step forward by faith.